We are definitely in the dog days of summer. And which dog do you have in the next race? Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principles and Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaelis. Hey, it's very good to be back with you, Barry, uh, considering the fact that we haven't gotten together to record now for, I don't know, several weeks. Right. It, and it's been my fault. I'm kind of in, a little bit invalid right now. I've had some back and hip injuries, and I'm kind of having to lay low. <laughs> yeah, driving two hours to come to my house when you've got things detached from your pelvis and such, it's not comfortable. Uh, it's not it's not exactly a thing that I want to do I, on my top three list of things I want to do. It's actually among those things because this makes it hard to sleep. So, but yeah. anyhow, not, not enough about that. That's not that's not a, the, as big a deal in the world. But well, um, we, we do request prayer. We've been request prayer for better. I, yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, Chuck, I believe we've had to have this done before in Ohio. We had a split primary where we had. Part of the primary occurred in May, where many of you went out and, and voted. And then part of the primary occurred the beginning of August, the 2nd of August, where very few of you went out and voted. However, it did leave some things in the election with statewide offices on the line. Uh, the legislative offices in, in many districts, all the House seats, some of the Senate seats. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on now. Of course, you know, some of the things that we're seeing right now involve elections that are happening around us in other states. So we'll talk a little bit today about the Ohio primaries and how that turned out and what we can expect coming into November and also look somewhere at the national scene at what some of the summertime races might mean for coming into January. So I know, Chuck, were you able to go out and exercise your civic duty at the beginning of August? Are you kidding? I had a campaign sign in my yard, as you remember. And I did go out and vote for that person. So, yeah, there were three offices on the ballot. One was for a state rep. Two were for central committee because I am a registered Republican. There were two central committee and everybody I voted for won. Yep. I want to make clear, this is uh, August 17th, 2022 recording. And if it sounds funny, that's because it's funny. Barry's 127 miles away and we're doing this by Zoom. So if it sounds not as crisp and clear as it normally does, and there's some string outs and that kind of thing. Then drop your stock in Zoom or don't buy any. Yeah, well, I had an issue. <laughs> I, I just shut off my uh, VPN because it was causing an unstable internet connection. And it dropped out for about two or three seconds. So there's a couple of dropouts and that kind of thing. You're going to notice that we're just dealing with it the same way. Hopefully we pray that you are dealing with it. Yeah, I, I did go out and I took my mother-in-law and I handed everybody a sample ballot all filled out and said, uh, I would request that you would vote this way. You don't have to. They always ask me to give recommendations on who to vote for. I get grief. Oh, you're ordering your wife to do this or that. And I go, <laughs> you don't know my wife very well. She doesn't take orders. If I am persuasive enough, she will do what I ask. Otherwise, she tells me to go take a long walk on a short pier. And if I've noticed, you do have a big uh, pond near you. So taking that walk <laughs> might be a little wet. Yeah, it might be. There is a nice big pond back on the neighbor's property, just back behind my barn here, about 100 yards, maybe. And uh, yeah, I could take a long walk on a short pier. Their pier, though, kind of crashed and burned when a tree fell on it. 
So uh, mm-hmm. it would be basically walk off the edge of the pond into the deep end. We were all very pleased because we were not very pleased with our uh, sitting state representative. I don't know. Should, who, can, who will not be sitting for you come January because he lost in his primary by a significant margin. Oh, he lost big by 16 points. Can I mention the name? It doesn't really matter anymore. Yes, you may. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a uh, was Mark Frazier. Mark Frazier was universally disliked for good reason, and we worked to turn him out. And I'll give thanks to the low turnout because the hardcores turned out and voted for Thad Claggett. And Frazier's softcores basically said, "Eh, I got a softball game to go to." Exactly, or a picnic, or something of that nature. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I forgot. We can't say the word picnic anymore, right? Oh, that's that, a new that's- one on me. Oh, okay. You haven't heard that one. Okay. We'll get to that a little bit later. There was a story here recently about a church whose pastor had to apologize publicly because they announced a picnic. And the word picnic now is fraught with racial overtones. Oh, if if you didn't know that. So, so folks, you can't go on a picnic. You can go on a prepackaged food vending adventure. I think that might be safe. Can go on a foraging from what you took from your fridge out in the wild. That might be safe, although the word wild may be fraught as well. But now picnic, it seems the word picnic now is fraught with uh, all kinds of overtones and undertones of racism and white privilege. So therefore, no more picnics, guys. Well, that's all 100% drivel. And uh, uh, Well, what any- most of the news speak that's coming out of the woke left is 100% dribble. Well, of course it is. Women anymore, we have birthing persons because, oh, you know, guys can get pregnant now, according to them. Although these are the people who, when we were talking about creation, science and things of that nature, oh, you know, you got to stick with the science. The science is, is determinative. Well, the science says that there's only two sexes, two genders, male and female, the way God created them. But yet they don't want to hear that now that they've decided that it's en vogue to be who you want to be, whether that means your biology and your gender or something else. However, there's been quite a bit of pushback. And Chuck, I think part of what we've seen in August and what I think we're going to see in November is fully situated around this idea that the rank and file bread and butter, red blooded Americans have had enough of the liberal left woke garbage and they're pushing back. Whether it's CRT in the classrooms or it's transgender indoctrination or the LGBT movement trying to push into the schools, folks are saying enough is enough. We're seeing the rise of the mama bears coming as many local school board races and even some of the statewide races are now being influenced heavily by folks who were just living their lives and trying to raise their families, but have decided that in order to protect their families and their children and to hopefully preserve culture, we are going to have to get into the fight and get back in the political realm and start pushing back very hard. I'm going to take that a little more broadly. Please. And that is there are parts of the church who are beginning to realize that they've been lied to regarding whether we're supposed to be involved in politics or not. We are reaping the whirlwind, having sown the wind by listening to teachers who have been telling us for Oh, gosh, since around the turn of the 20th century, if not earlier, that our job was not to be involved in politics at all, but to simply preach the gospel. Uh, well, of course, well, the church is... Politics is a, 
Politics is dirty, Chuck. Don't you know oh, yeah, that? Right. That's the realm of Satan. I can still remember local pastors telling me that uh, our job was to pray. Well, praying it is. is I, I'll, 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 I'll agree with them. That is that is a job we have is to pray. It's not the only job. That that's it. It's not just the job. It's part of the job. A pastor who preaches the gospel is doing his job insofar as he is attempting to win souls and for those souls who are one to instruct them in the application of the word. If the word is being preached properly, part of the sermon is application to your life. Now, one of the things that pastors in many cases, in many seminaries are being taught is that the word does not apply to your political life. That simply there is no application that has to do with politics. That is utter nonsense. Jesus Christ, um, is, Jesus Christ is the king of everything. Correct. He rules over our spiritual life. He rules over our family life. He rules over our school life. He rules over our work life, and he rules over our political life. Well, let me posit the question to you, Chuck. If you would take what they were saying as true, does that not implicate God himself in being cruel and capricious and needing to go back and to apologize to people like Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, Artaxerxes, Herod, and others whom God spiritually intervened and involved himself in the politics of their day? Yeah, not just one Herod, but at least two of them. I think three of them. Herod, yes. You're absolutely correct. God intervened directly. Now, that's essentially one of the problems is people say, well, God intervened directly in those cases. He's not doing so now. And I always laugh and say, if you can't see the hand of God in what's going on and you can't see the hand of judgment in a lot of what's going on in the world and in our nation right now, then you are blind. You're spiritually blind because... God's active hand in politics has both saved us, since his hand is the saving hand. It's not a saving hand. It's the right, saving correct. hand through his son, Jesus Christ. He's not only saving us, and sometimes we don't even know because we don't recognize. We say, oh, that's a coincidence. Or, boy, aren't we lucky that so-and-so was in office. There's no luck that so-and-so was in office. So-and-so was in office because God appointed him to the office. And that includes people that are horribly bad. That includes Jerry Nadler. That in includes Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. That includes Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Nancy Pelosi. All these people who are terrible. Adam Schiff. All these right. people, they're there because God wanted them there. And when God doesn't want them there anymore, they won't be there anymore. They will not like, be there anymore. Like Liz Cheney. Well, like, I, I was wondering if you were going to bring that up because that's the big news this week is that uh, the state of Wyoming had their their primaries elections this Tuesday, a couple of weeks after we had our legislative primaries in Ohio. And yes, the prognostications were almost spot on, Chuck. I think they were saying that Harriet Hageman would be winning by about 50 points and think she went won by about 35. So uh, a little bit of drop off it there. But, uh, it was around closer to 40. It was closer 30, to 39.7. But for uh, a sitting incumbent congresswoman to lose in a, in a primary in her home state by 40 points, 
really means that she's completely out of touch with her constituents in her district. Now, of course, in Wyoming, I believe there's only, what, one or two House seats total uh, because yeah. of the population. Now, they have two senators, but they've only two got senators, two House One House. They have three electoral votes. Yeah, they have three electoral yeah. votes. So they have three electoral votes. Right. So, so, you know, you really have to be completely tone deaf. And I mean completely tone deaf in order to lose a seat in a sparse populated state like Wyoming by that much after being the sitting incumbent. Now, of course, like we said, you know, with Ohio, there were a couple of races here that were incumbents. Frazier, you mentioned one. The other was a guy by the name of Sean Stevens in Delaware County who were incumbents. Uh, both were appointees. Frazier had stood for election the last time around against the same guy and won, barely. But this time around, they both lost as incumbents, and they lost pretty handily because in the Delaware district, Stevens, the incumbent, lost by, I would say, close to 25 points to Beth Lear in the Republican primary. Now, for purposes of complete transparency. I am related to Beth. Her husband and I are cousins. So by marriage, we're related. And I, Beth and I have worked together for years in the legislature and in, in government and politics. So she's true blue and as solid as a rock. And I'm glad to see that she won her primary. She's going to have a tough time in the general because Delaware County, it's Delaware and Knox County, but Delaware is really kind of a more purplish blue any more than it is a solid red uh, yeah. because of rhinos and their Republican Party. Rhinos so, and also demographics have changed a lot of and the demographics yeah, changed. Democrats yes. are getting away from the policies they helped create in Columbus and moving into Delaware County, and are as usual shocked when things change in a in a direction they don't like, and they like we moved here to get away from these policies. And I go, and then you voted people in who had the same mindset as the people you left. Yeah, that's, that's the okay. case. even with these Ohio examples and with the example in Wyoming with Liz Cheney on the national level, the base is getting fired up, Chuck. People are sick of the distracted, distant, hung up on the money of the large corporate lobby legislators who are there just to fill their own pockets. Now, I'm not claiming that either Stevens or Frazier were filling their own pockets, but it's pretty clear with Liz Cheney. She came in, Chuck, into Congress with $6 million to her name. She's leaving with $44 million in personal worth while making $185,000 a year as a congresswoman. I'd like to figure out what her investment strategy looks like, and I'd like to do that, too, because I'd like to make that kind of an increase. Well, that happens a lot. Now, the one person who I can think of who didn't come out richer, or at least, you know, demonstrably richer than when he went in, was Ron Paul. And if you'll recall, Ron Paul was under constant attack. Well, why was he under constant attack? He wouldn't vote for the things that these guys who were, frankly, on the take from giant corporations wanted. When there was money attached, he goes, I'll take your money, but I'm not voting for your bill. If you want to send money to my reelection campaign, that's fine. If you squawk about it and want your money back, we'll send it back, which he did on more than one occasion. He sent money back. Because they said, we, we want our quid pro quo. And he goes, there isn't any such thing in this office. So people that leave, come in, minor millionaires, have a million dollars in assets and that kind of thing. Right. That's no big deal these days. Lots of people who... It's when they leave as major millionaires, right. the question mark. That's right. You know, I counted up my assets. Uh, I was, I choked 
I'm like, holy smokes. Well, you know where most of it is? It's in real estate, which means it's, it's locked up tighter in the drum and other assets, my business assets and that kind of stuff. It's like, well, why don't you give us money for this and that? And I go, right now I'm having trouble making payroll. So yeah. I don't want to hear about how rich I am. <laughs> We're in a recession, folks. And when it comes down to, let's see, am I going to buy gasoline and groceries or am I going to buy vitamins? Guess which wins? Makes me wish I was in the groceries business. But even they're not doing that well because they're having to cut their margins to try to keep people in the place and sell the stock they have before it rots. So people are cutting way back. That's not really here nor there. The fact is that there are lots and lots and lots of people who come into Congress John Kasich was one of those guys. He came in essentially middle class and he left with essentially hauling his trailer with bags full of money in it. Yeah. That's when true. he went back to Westerville and then uh, ran for governor and he's still doing that. Well, that's because he did the thing that most uh, Congress people uh, on the take, as you put it, usually do. Once they retire from Congress or get retired by the voters, they immediately jump over and become part of the feeder trough of the same special interests that were paying them and writing them big campaign checks to get their way, they just go over and start drawing a big check from them and still keep the money flowing. That's what Liz Cheney's going to do. Matter of fact, while she was announcing her concession, she was also announcing she's going to be forming an exploratory committee and a PAC to basically explore running for president herself next year in 2024 or in two years. And the only way she'd be doing that is if she had a bunch of the corporate lobbies behind her saying, Liz, no matter what, we want you in there. Well, look, they do want her in there. Why? They really, really, really think that the Republican base and I want to talk something about that later, but the Republican base is going to, I'll be willing to bet that John Kasich is preparing another presidential run. Well, okay. I, well, you know, he might be, and it's, I'm glad you said this because the thing is you can kind of tell with some politicians what they're doing. Now I just got something today across my email that immediately after reading it, I mean, on the face of it, it looks, Oh yeah, this is great. Then you start reading into it and then you realize oh, this is another politician lining himself up for another run at office. And I'll hold that for a minute. You go ahead and talk about what you're going to talk about. Remind me, and I'll come back to that, and we'll talk about it. Well, you brought up Liz Cheney doing 10% better, more or less, than she, it was predicted. And in the last weeks of the campaign, she was begging Democrats to cross the line, re-register as Republicans, and vote for her. Right. Well, she even got Al Franken's endorsement over the weekend. Al Franken. If you remember, if you remember Al Franken, not from his gig at Saturday Night Live, but from his gig as a United States senator. Yeah, where he was actually somehow maneuvered into resigning. Uh, all I can well, I think yeah. it was after a number of photos came out showing him, let's say, engaging in some extracurricular activity on, with his hands on women who were unaware that he was doing something to them because they were passed out. On a reporter, as I recall. Yeah, on a plane, on some kind of junket they were taking somewhere overseas, Al decided he was going to help her, shall we say, lift and separate. Yes. <laughs> That's not the only thing. There were other complaints for Big Al, and I honestly think that there was much, much more 
than what we saw because otherwise, I mean, those things were bad enough, but they weren't all that horrible. I mean, he, he is a jokester. He, and he wasn't in politics at the time. He was a comedian. And I think it was an entertainment trip, a USO trip to Afghanistan or, or Iraq or someplace. And he got himself elected to office through very dubious means. Again, another case with votes found in the trunk of a car, if you'll recall. Oh, I do remember that. Well, I mean, you know, at least they didn't find them in suitcases under the table in the counting room. In the, the counting room. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the Just fact to is, remind people, these, these are actual facts, folks. These are not fantasies. These are actual facts that have happened. But I, I'm pretty sure that you'll find that, that Liz Cheney was successful, at least partly. You know, the, the do-gooders who were going to, quote, unquote, save the Republican Party by going over and rejecting all the conservative candidates, which is one of the problems with when you have a party system, and especially in states that have open primaries. Now, Ohio Ohio has a deal where you can do that if you want. You've got a, a case. You can walk in in a primary and pull a Democratic ballot if you're a Republican or vice versa, but only at the primary. Right, true. Because you can change your registration. You don't have to go down to the the registrar's office. You walk in and pull another ballot, and you're re-registered in the opposite party if that's the ballot you pull. Yeah, well, that's true. That's how we do it. You know, you don't fill out a bunch of paperwork. It's just if you show up at the primary and you ask for a ballot of a certain party designation, then when you cast that ballot, you have identified as a member of that party, and that is what your voter registration will reflect when it comes down to determining whether or not you're an R, a D, or an independent. So, yeah, that's that's exactly how that works. Yeah, and I, I, frankly, I don't know how Wyoming works. You know, some states, you can't do that. If you walk in as a registered Republican and try to pull a Democratic ballot, you get a challenge. Yeah, uh, really you should. Yeah, our system used to be something like that, and then we, it was changed some years ago. It's been a while, but in any case, that's probably where that 10% came from. The news media, who's always a master, the mainstream media is always a master of deluding itself onto what's probably going to happen, was pushing this scenario where all these Democrats came over and voted for Liz Cheney. And of course, the numbers had to be, yeah, you have to think in terms of there are 500,000 people in Wyoming. Right. How many of those are registered that, that's voters? fewer people than live in Columbus, Ohio. That's right. Yeah. And how many of them were registered to vote, let alone a party registry? You'd be real lucky if it was 125 or 100, between 125 and 150,000, unless Wyoming's way more politically active than I think. I can hear your keys clicking away. So you're looking that up. I'm looking. Yeah, it's okay. When you lose by that big a margin, Amongst that really small an electorate, you got your behind thumped. Yes, you you were totally destroyed in that election, as well she was. And again, this is a situation where after it's all over with, the question is, are Liz Cheney voters going to be sticking with the party or are they going to be sticking with their philosophical bent? and turn around and try to vote for Democrat in order to punish 
a conservative Republican, now, which we've seen happen in Ohio a number of times. Oh, that's uh, one remembers the Ken Blackwell like where Republican office holders and Republican for PACs to support the Democrats because they couldn't stand the messaging that was coming out of a conservative like Ken Blackwell. Uh, now the question yeah, now, Hageman probably will have the same type of situation happen. And it's a it's a pop-up question as to whether or not it's going to be a Republican or a Democrat going to be sitting in Congress for that seat in Wyoming next year. Wyoming is a reliably Republican state. I think you're going to find that she's going to do well. Hageman, Cheney's opponent, Cheney's uh, replacement on the Republican, is going to do fine. Well, that's good. Because Wyoming is usually three votes to on the Republican side, electoral college-wise. It's other states. The thing that happens... Oh, I'm, th- I'm thinking of Montana because I was thinking of John Tester, but yeah, that's Exactly. Montana, Montana a different animal. It's a union-dominated state because of mining. Montana's a mining state, and it has uh-huh. it has only a f- couple of hundred, if maybe a hundred thousand more than Wyoming. And it's if you look on a map, folks, Wyoming is giant. It is a huge state, and I think maybe six hundred thousand people, maybe six fifty, live there, and a lot of them are involved in uh, peripherally or directly in some kind of mining. Uh huh. Because you know the only other thing there's ranching, really. Well, that's true. Uh, lumber, perhaps, in certain parts of the state, um, but it's mostly mining and ranching, and uh, miners are not known for being non-union. There are some, actually, in the old days of uh, union organization, there was essentially a civil war in Montana over whether there would be unions or not. Uh, there, I'm trying to think of the, the famous song that it's always sung at uh, rallies about this person who was uh, the ghost of, and I can't remember his name now, but they always sang these songs at these rallies. Not just mining, but uh, uh, in any case. Same thing with Nevada, Barry. Nevada should be, uh, demographically should be a conservative state, and it's not. And the reason is mining. Mining and, and Las Vegas. Because where do most of the people in the state live? They live in Las Vegas. Las Vegas or Reno, yeah. Yeah. And what do they do for a living? They're either directly or peripherally involved in the casino business. And the casinos have a huge union vote. And the unions tend to vote. And this is how Harry Reid controlled so much power. He was reliable to get over 60% of the vote for the Senate because he had the, he was in the pocket of casino unions and the mining unions. That's how, that's how he got all that power, uh, flat out. Cheney, one thing you can say, Cheney was the virtual walking definition of a carpet bagger. Well, that's true. Her dad lived in Wyoming. Although he didn't spend as much time as he he does now because he's retired there. But she lived in Virginia and had for years and ran out of Wyoming. And in her concession speech, now get this, this this woman is delusional. A few years ago, I won this primary with 73% of the vote. I could easily have done the same again. The path was clear. 
but it would have required that I go along with President Trump's lie about the 2020 election. What, you mean that it was stolen? The fact is, it's not a lie. She knows it. Or she's deluded herself into believing something else. Yeah, uh, um, probably. Probably. Well, okay, if you keep going, you talked about her concession speech. She compares herself favorably to both uh, Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant as, uh, you know, she's doing the, the righteous thing for the country going after Trump. And so, therefore, I think maybe there might be a more than a little bit of hubris going on there, and she might just believe herself. Well, uh, one wag pointed out, <laughs> I read this today, uh, maybe she should go burn down Atlanta so she can be compared with William T. Sherman. Well, you know what? I think if she thought that it would gain her political points or votes, she probably would. She probably would. And she would make some point about how uh, Stacey Abrams, her election really was stolen, and therefore we're making that right. Even though Atlanta had nothing to do with Kemp's victory or very little to do with it, it was the rest of the state that over finally, for once, overwhelmed Atlanta and yep. uh, got in a semi-decent candidate. You know, I, I'm reminded of the fact that, you know, there's there was a big deal made, DeSantis uh, in Florida. Oh, what a bad player he is and how horrible the state is. And I go, he just barely beat his opponent who's turning out to have been a grifter and a, and a crook. Just got is in the process of being tried for election fraud and a couple of other things. And, and is actually a Marxist. And he wasn't that far from beating DeSantis in the last election. So right. it just goes to show you that it's not all necessarily as it's painted. This is true. That has been proven time and time again that you have to look beyond what the media or what the politicians are saying about themselves and look into what's actually happening behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we talk about this a lot all, when we do these programs. Uh, and folks, you know, it's always good. You know, you always have to study to follow. Where are these people at? I mean, you know, let's take your example there, Chuck with your soon-to-be ex-representative Frazier, who was touted during his first run in office, touted after the fact as being this rock-ribbed conservative, that he was as pure as the driven snow when it came to conservative issues, except for the fact that while he was on city council, he voted in favor of LGBT stuff. When he gets into the legislature, he is dismissive and actually rude to people testifying on issues that he doesn't agree with, which includes things like medical freedom. And that he basically uh, really was just voting along with whatever leadership told him to do most of the time, which is not what people in the district elect him to do. They don't elect you to go to Columbus, pick somebody to lead you, and then hide behind that leader and say, well, they're making me do all these votes that I really told you I wouldn't do, or there, I can't vote on these things I told you I wanted to vote on because, well, leadership's not letting me. That's the little two-step that happens in Columbus, folks. Happens in D.C., too, that you elect somebody, they go and they get up there and they get in their caucuses. And at the beginning of the year, they do the organizing caucus where they're going to set up and they're going to elect a leader. The, they're going to elect the, the leadership teams for both the ma majority and the minority caucuses. And that's the Speaker of the House and the Speaker Pro Tem and, and the leadership there in the majority. And then the minority leader and their and their folks, and they all get in a room and they all talk and go back and forth and they've all been horse trading and making promises of who gets what committee or who gets what plum assignment or a special committee 
oh, you know, if you vote for me, I'll make sure you get on finance committee or I'll make you the chairman of Ways and Means or whatever it might be. These guys will make a bunch of promises to people backed by money coming from a lot of the lobbyists to try to hold it up. And of course, the lobbyists always get final say with these guys. Well, you, you promised uh, Representative X that he's going to be the finance chairman. That's not really going to work well for us. We need Representative Y to be the chairman. Why don't you promise him he'll be a subcommittee chair? And so that usually ends up what happens. Um, but then they get in there and they vote. They get the leadership team. And then when things start going down the road and they start getting pressure from their constituents because you promised us you'd take care of this issue. Well, let's say like the whole COVID issue, Chuck. How many people were disappointed with their representatives basically sitting on their hands for a year and a half while the governor basically unilaterally ran the legislature? Very few of those members. Oh, well, we're trying. You know, we're, we're fighting. We're on the phone calls. We're arguing with them. They weren't getting pushing to pass bills. Oh, well, you know, we can't get it. Leadership won't let us send these bills. I got news for everybody, including the legislators. When you vote a leader in, they are at your pleasure, your leisure. You can vote them right back out again. And we've seen that happen, Chuck. When they finally got tired of Larry Householder and it got embarrassing for them, they voted him out of, of the speaker's chair and they put in a new seat. Now, of course, the lobbyists controlled that one too. But that's the way that works. If you are dealing with a politician, uh, an elected member of is representing you in your district, and let's say you go to meetings and they start telling you, well, you know, we just can't get things done because, you know, leadership doesn't want it. That's when you say to them, I elected you to be the leader for this district. You elected your leadership. You can unelect them. Well, Barry, because they I can't. I, I, I they know. can step right out of those seats as if the caucus gets together and decide they don't the direction that a leader's taking them, they'll switch leaders. It happened to Cliff Rosenberg. It happened to Ryan Smith when they had the reorganization. It happened to Larry Householder. It's and you know, right now this is the first time in like four cycles that coming into January, it'll be a clean open spot for who the speaker's gonna be because the current speaker is turned out. He will be gone after the end of this year. Well, I know as a lobbyist, you run into that all the time. I've sat in, in the office when we get told, you know, leadership doesn't want this, and then therefore it ha uh, I'm not sure I can support it. Right. And it's See, that's, the, that's the idea of them hiding behind the skirts of somebody that it, they put up the straw man, which is the leader, and then they hide behind the leader saying, well, I can't, we can't do this because the leader doesn't want it. The leader serves at the pleasure of the members. Yeah, that exactly. That's always been the case. That will always be the case. Leaders serve at the pleasure of the members. If, a member, if, a, if your legislator tells you that they can't do something because of leadership, what they're actually saying is, I'm going to let the leadership's decision cover me and keep me from harm electorally by you. Because I can get you to believe it's not my responsibility or it's not my fault. I can blame it on somebody else and I can absolve myself of responsibility. Yeah. And I, that is garbage. Oh, of course it is. It, it's just awful. But think about it. When we were in third party politics, one of the problems we had was that the leadership committees lorded it over the vast majority of the state organizations, the executive committee. And if you recall, we actually had a plan at one point. It got so bad that we were going to, we had a plan 
to call for a vote of no confidence in in the uh, the chairman of the party. Right. Now that that did not happen because everybody said, okay, th- this has we we basically got hoodwinked into coming into this thing and putting our money into it and blah blah blah. And eventually, that guy ended up being the the presidential standard bearer for the party, which tells you how bankrupt the, that party had become. Because he was the only guy that had the one of the reasons the party continued this, to exist. This was, after we, this was after we had left. This is after we had left. Uh, I want to make that clear that we were not we did not stick around and endorse no. or quietly stay silent while that happened. No, and, and uh, I'm sure he was he was a nice enough guy. Everybody met him, said they liked him. But uh, he was the guy whose money was run, essentially running the party. He was the he was the the, the deep pocket for a while. It was uh, Mike Perutka whose pocket they were picking. Uh, they used him as a front man and used him as a money bags, and and then abused him uh, later on. Um, and kicked him out of the party. Yeah, basically threw him out of the party. When uh, he asked the party to stand on what they said that their basic organizing principles were, then oh, they couldn't have that, so we had to get him out. Right, Barry, but it's the way of the world. We know that biblically that that's the case. Now we we've had we've fallen into the trap a few times because we actually trusted some of the people who uh, um, made us promises. Yep. And this was not a wise idea. Nope. Terribly. But they said, all, they said all the right things and they took all the right actions up to a certain point. This is called brinksmanship. When you get to the brink and look over, you either say, okay, in we go, or you back up. These guys backed up. But that's nothing new. I, I've been reading. Uh, I've been reading First and Second Samuel as my daily readings. Nice. You see uh, that kind of action going on all over the place in those books, and it's Ill- illustrative of what we can expect to deal with with politicians. I understand they want to get reelected. Okay, fine. How many times have we had politicians that told us they were pro-life? And when it came down to the point where they needed to do the job, that there was a bill and we needed their support, you know, leadership just won't let, I mean, they're not going to let this through. Right, exactly. And it would be. We don't a, understand. We just, we just can't get it through. And it would be, it would be political suicide for me to vote for this. And therefore I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry, fellas. I hope you'll continue to support me in the upcoming election. Now the question yep. is, what are we going to do? You know, you and I both know every, the the uh, the specter that is haunting Columbus at this moment, to, to quote the Communist Manifesto, a specter is haunting Europe. The specter that's haunting uh, Columbus right now, when do the pro-life guys show up with a bill that says, okay, time for a ban? You guys removed all the laws that we used to have in place that would have stood when Roe v. Wade was wiped out. Now we want you to reinstitute those. 
listen to the howling that you'll hear. Oh, yes. Well, you're already, you're already hearing it. Oh, of course. Know? Because there are bills already, Chuck, in, that are filed in the legislature that are active. One's House Bill 598, which was the trigger bill, which is mostly moot at this point because of the actions of the court in the Dobbs decision. But, you know, it still creates a, an environment for a, at least a partial ban of abortion. The, the language is pretty weak. But, but then there's also House Bill 480, which stylizes Ohio, uh, basically life at conception bill based upon what the Texas legislation did, which was allow a private right of action against abortionists, neither one of which go to the full banning of abortion. Okay, that's that's the whole problem. They neither one of them go to the full banning of abortion. They always fall short in some fashion. And of course, the Texas model that we're finding out can can be a backfire because now you're seeing in California where they're starting to use that same kind of legislation against guns and against gun owners. So yeah. you got to have a private right of action for people to sue somebody who owns a firearm in your community. So if you go outside in your porch cleaning your side piece and your neighbor walks out on their porch and they see it, they can go, they can actually file a lawsuit against you to keep you from owning that firearm. And that's based upon the Texas abortion language, uh, which allowed a private right of action for any individual to sue against a, a, somebody who's performing an abortion. Yeah, I remember. Um, so that's a dangerous. It's a little dangerous, too. But again, neither one of those bills goes toward a full ban on abortion. We have heartbeat right now, which obviously isn't a full ban. It's six weeks uh, or roughly thereabouts. Um, there is some talk that they want to move and, and strengthen that and give it more teeth. Well, the only way you give it more teeth is if you go to full personhood and you just say human life is inviolate and precious and all the protections of law are going to apply from the moment of fertilization until natural death. That's the only way you get it done. They are not going to do that. I, I will. All, I would almost lay cash money down on the table that the legislators will quail and balk at doing something so hard. I mean, you've already seen the titular head of supposedly the largest pro-life group in Ohio, Ohio Right to Life, which isn't really. Which is, um, uh, yeah. It came out almost immediately after Dobbs giving the legislature cover saying, oh, well, we won't touch anything like in vitro fertilization or surrogacy or anything of that nature, you know, we're not going to touch any of that. Well, on IVF, if you don't actually touch it, you are continuing to allow the destruction of living human beings because it, once an egg is fertilized and an embryo is created and they have dozens and dozens and dozens of embryos created so that one will take an implantation for the IVF to, to be effective, they destroy the rest of those embryos. Those right. are living human beings. Selective that reduction. Still abortion. Yeah. That's still abortion, just technically made cleaned up because, oh, we don't want to touch IVF. Now, of course, this is also coming. I've been hearing from the governor as well that they don't want to they don't get into this messy stuff. They don't want to deal with chemical abortion. They don't want to deal with IVF. They don't want to deal with contraception. They don't want to deal with anything that would actually get them to say, yeah, we believe it's a human life from conception and therefore we're going to treat that pre-born human life the same as we do everybody who's outside the womb which yeah, means yeah. even though we're winning the battle we're going to lose the war because we don't have leaders who have the spine to prosecute the plan in order to make a strategic move in order to win yeah yeah and we also have a lot of people who in order to let themselves believe that they're not committing abortion especially chemical abortion, 
for instance, the day after pill. The day after pill isn't always abortion, but it generally is because what it does is uh, if you are pregnant, if, if the egg has been fertilized, you are pregnant. What you're doing is you're forcing yourself into a period so that that egg, that fertilized egg is expelled rather than implanting. The yep. hormone overdose essentially throws your body into a tizzy so that it, it, it expels the, the fertilized egg. And these people, uh, well, I was never pregnant. Yeah, you were. You were. You weren't, uh, you didn't, hadn't completed all the steps, but you were pregnant because there was a human being. And that's where part of the argument lies. If you listen to the current arguments, everything pivots on our side believes it's from the moment of conception, which is not the moment of implantation, but the moment that sperm makes egg and that recombination of DNA takes place. That's conception. And that's, that's life. Cool. That's life. That's a, that is an, an individual, unique person. And uh, they're not fully developed yet. But guess what? Large portions of their, their physical. Everything that they ever will be is already there, Chuck. A, a, not, not quite everything, but most of their, for instance, their personality, their body type. Uh, color of their hair, color of their eyes. Uh, in some cases, the way they think, you know, there there are reasons why w when you uh, can see in a child, uh, like I see in my grandchild, things that their great-grandfather or great-grandmother would do, and you know they never knew these people. Why did they do exactly it? Exactly the same things. Be yes, because that behavior is genetic in many cases like my my uh my grandfather my father and i when when we lay down on the couch to take a nap we all wiggled our feet why well my great-grandfather also wiggled his feet when he i'm told when he laid down to take a nap why it's built in i don't do it voluntarily i just do it my dad didn't do it voluntarily. He just did it. Same with my grandfather. These things are sort of inborn. These uh, They're part of being part of a family. But the big argument right now that we have to learn to combat is this idea that the uh, the unborn are not people. And I know there are, there are groups that have been out there pushing for personhood for the unborn, thinking yep. that was a way around Roe v. Wade. And I said, yeah, if you get personhood, here's what will happen. They'll just change the definition of everything else, and you're still checkmated. And you know what? So you're bringing up a very true analysis, and that is we are now living in an environment in post-postmodern, as I want to call it, um, where... We now do not have any fixed meaning for words. We talked about this a little bit to it. The whole idea of birthing persons because we can't have a pregnant woman 
or a mother or it's a birthing person or a nurturing person because well you know it's it's wrong and sexist and and elitist of us to to say that you know men are men and women are women and biology matters we're using all kinds of abortion is now considered you know being said as health care instead of what it is which is right. murder um we have to be careful because you're right. Personhood could end up becoming a totally different kind of definition depending on who's controlling the pen and the dictionary, um, which is kind of frightening because when you look at if you look at a um, current you know Merriam-Webster's dictionary, you see things in there and you look at the definition, you're like, I don't remember that being defined that way. And if you go back and look at old dictionaries, you realize, huh, we've changed the meanings of words over time. Why? Is it because we were wrong originally, or is it because there's pressure from certain interest groups because it doesn't fit their narrative to have a word defined clearly? And that's that's the problem. Uh, if you if you don't have clear, unambiguous definitions, if you don't have fixed truth, then nothing is safe. Well, you're you're getting down to the core problem, which is there is no such thing as absolute truth. Well, that's absolutely wrong. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> well, you know, I can remember teaching worldview classes, and th this was a statement that that uh, got made. I remember in this one class, I uh, thinking like a Christian. It says the the truth is a person. Well, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And I, it's an abstract. I'm like, what I mean is God is truth. Christ is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. They set the standard. You don't. Now, the, the idea of your truth and my truth. Nope, there's only truth. That's true for you, but not true for me. Anything that's true for me, uh, as long as I have interpreted it properly, is true for you. And that's a very yeah. difficult thing That that is a a Christian worldview, and it's very difficult for people who have come up uh, through the educational system in the last, oh gosh, three decades to really grasp. Because what all we've been fed is the idea that truth is relative. Truth can't be relative. Or you end up with people who really honestly argue that biology does not determine gender. Gender is a bad word. Sex is, is gender really is a literary term. Uh, yes. It, it ha well, yeah, gender, gender is English language. It's not, it's not uh, personal biology. It's English language. Yeah, sex is, is more correct. Uh, yes. Gender does not determine sex. Yes, it does. You cannot uh, look. Uh, the uh, I can identify as a hamster. That doesn't make me a hamster. That's the whole point. That's what why why we keep arguing this. Now, most people, as you brought up in the beginning of this of this broadcast, most people agree with us. Yes, well, that's right. At least, at least the small handful percentage that comes out and votes on an off on an off cycle election. <laughs> that's <yes>. right. <laughs> votes in August. Yeah, that's that's true. No, uh, uh, people are beginning to say there's something wrong with the way society's working, and it seems to be because there are people who don't believe in truth. Yeah, 
or they want they want to cling to certain pieces of it while their little piece that uh, doesn't have have that applied they don't want to think about it in that direction but they do want to think about you know they don't want their their little kids coming home when you see parents of 4 year olds saying my 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 son or daughter really wants to be my daughter or son she came out uh yeah, my son decided he wants to be my yeah. daughter, and he's four years old. That's child abuse. Yes, it is. I just saw a, a video uh, somebody posted up where they're doing an interview with a child who supposedly wants to change genders, and the mother, who looked trans herself, whatever, was sitting there, and you could, you could, you know, when they pulled the camera close, you could see her whispering to the child. Oh, of course. The interviewer said that there's two chairs and a chair across from, and the, the interviewer asked the child a question, and you'd see the mother uh, trying to, under her breath, give the child the answer. Is this about the child, what the child wants, or about what the deluded adult wants? And it was clear that this was an adult exercising an undue amount of um, horrible influence because of her, her mental condition. Uh, and focusing it on the child. Now, we used to call something like that Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Right. I'm wondering when that's going to come back as, as, a, as a diagnosis to all this transgenderism, because honestly, I, the more I'm looking at it, the more I'm seeing this is classic. This is Munchausen syndrome. This is a parent, a, an adult, who somehow has a misguided notion and who is projecting onto their child a, a, you know, a dissatisfaction with who they are or a need need to have this medical intervention because somehow if they don't they're going to not be complete and whole and healthy that's munchausen syndrome in, in, in rough terms uh, barry what's going to happen is unfortunately it's going to take uh, half a generation 10 well that's well, half a generation that it uh, that's right that's right and 12 15 years where everybody's going to say wow we really messed up we really, this was a mistake. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the amount of geometrically ex exponential damage that this is going to cause while this was a mistake is not going to cut. You think about the idea of children, Chuck, you know, your children are married. My children are getting for that age. What about their children? You know, when they go to try to find somebody, do they have to like get a DNA test to check to see if, the um, outside matches the inside, you know. I mean, do you, do you run risk? Uh, that it's, it's frightening. I mean, I feel for our children and our children's children right now. We've lost, again, absolute truth. This gets back to it, Chuck. We are losing the ability to have clear definitions and clear understanding as of what's what and who's who. That is a culture that is disintegrating. Wow. And it's going to start with each of us standing against that cultural disintegration. And, or as the old saying goes, stand for history and yell enough. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I mean, when we, again, we're at that precipice and we're looking over the edge. Um, God's judgment is upon us. There's no doubt about that. What does that mean? Can you get out from under God's judgment? Yes, you can. But 
what does it take? It takes a rededication to being an obedient people, turn from our wicked ways, be in prayer to him, pay him, you know, uh, Psalm 2, kiss the son lest he be angry. We're not kissing the son, we're spitting on the son. And he's angry. There used to be a bumper sticker, and it had different language on it, but it said, uh, Jesus is coming, and boy, is he uh, angry. Let's put the word angry in there. Because yeah, exactly that was 40 years ago. There is an element of truth in that. Jesus isn't coming. He's here, and he's not happy. And the world is in turmoil. Why? Because we, the, the leaders, the, the nations plot in vain. Again, Psalm 2. Yep. And fail to kiss the sun. What's that going to do? That's going to bring the wrath of God down upon us. We're feeling it now. We're sitting here dumbfounded about how we can have a leader who basically does not know what's going on. Uh, we do make some fun out of it, but it's more whistling past the graveyard than anything because we know that he's a puppet. And who's pulling the strings? Well, China, uh, Ukraine, Russia, um, all the things they accused Trump of is going on right now in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, because the Republicans aren't any better on, especially on the Ukraine issue. Ukraine has been bribing our leaders for years and years and years and years, having to do with pipelines and gas supplies, natural gas supplies, chemical supplies, and that kind of stuff. China's in a little bit of a collapse, even though they're, they are buying up Huge tracts of land in this country. Farmland. BlackRock is buying up huge tracts of land in this country. Very close to uh, some huge percentage, like over 40% of the rental property is owned by BlackRock or BlackRock subsidiaries. Why? They would love, they're going out and buying homes at two and three times market value. Why? Because they want to force everybody to be a renter. Why? Because if you are a renter and you can't buy your own property, you are a vassal. You are not a citizen. That's true. People should read the book called The Mystery of Capital yeah. uh, by a man by the name of Hernando de Soto. Not, not the explorer, but uh, a modern day who's a Marxist. Yeah, uh, but he talks about Central America and South America, and the fact that you know what they need in order to be able to be successful is the ability to track and own property. We're losing that ability now. I think it's a very poignant book to be reading right now to make the case for why people need to rethink this and you know rethink this whole idea of letting the corporate monopolies take over and become everybody's landlord. Yeah. Well, guess what, Barry? We're out of time. I figured we might be. Um, and uh, folks, uh, we're sorry for the audio quality. Barry kind of went a little uh, stretchy out and uh, rumbled a little bit. We'll, we'll work on that. 
Unfortunately, it's to be expected on a Zoom call. And uh, again, we'll work on it, see if we can't improve uh, my signal and his signal and everybody's signal. But we're very happy to be back uh, recording again. And we hope to have new shows for you in the future, uh, hopefully next week. But in any case, you know what we think. We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.